0: Welcome to the Israel Bible Podcast. My name is Cindy Parker, and I am an author, a speaker, and the Professor of Holy Land Studies at Israel Bible Center. I am passionate about reading the Bible in the physical, historical, and cultural context of its day. And I really love having these geeky conversations with people about things I don't normally think about. In this podcast, I'd like to invite you to join me as I sit down each week with other faculty members of IBC to discover new aspects of the Bible. These are some of my favorite dialogues because, as a modern audience reading an ancient text, we know that the Bible does not need to be rewritten, but it needs to be reread. A couple months ago, IBC held a hot topic seminar on the subject of angels and demons in the Hebrew Bible and Second Temple literature. Four scholars participated, Dr. Ushaya Gruber, Dr. Nicholas Shazer, and Dr. Ashley Lyon, and a special guest from Brazil, Dr. Tupa Guerra. Now, the recording of their conversation has not yet been released. And if you're really sad you missed out on the live conversation, which was absolutely fascinating, be sure to sign up for IBC emails so that you always know what kind of conversations are coming up. This episode, which is a curated conversation specifically about demons, is an appetizer to the full meal that will be available soon. In the meantime, there are two other roundtable talks you can explore if you want more data or you need another place to go for a more robust conversation. One is called Angels and Evil in Second Temple Judaism, and the other is called The Unseen Realm of the Bible. This was a talk on angels and demons in the Hebrew Bible, but I thought we should just divide that into two different episodes. So last week, we talked about angels. If you missed it, go back and take a listen. This week, demons. What are they exactly?
1: Oh, that's a very difficult question, actually, because for us, usually we when we think about demons and either because of the way we are raised or because of the media and pop culture and some sometimes some people will think about this creature this red thing with horns and wings and stuff or maybe this creature that has the ability to change form and to attack sometimes it doesn't have a form or it's just darkness anyway we have many many different views but when we look into history demon has been used to to talk about a, a bunch of different things like if we go back to greece and we go back to where the word come from it's diamond so the word it's the diamonds were not necessarily evil or good they were more like an inspirational help thing it's it's hard to define but they were not necessarily evil or good they were just there and when we think about Demons in other cultures—it's always it always has some differences. It's not always the same, precisely the same thing. And even the Greeks recognized that the word wasn't ideal to talk about other creatures. So uh, what? But what it usually thought, it's usually thought—it's demons are a kind of um, something that goes between between humans and. Um, other entities either be God or gods depending of the culture and they have this ability to talk with both sides let's say and they can in a way and then that's when they get very similar to angels because in a way they are kind of messengers and of course each culture will see them differently and then we it's it's a whole mess (laughs) and then you don't have just one word for demons you might have other definitions and forms to analyze them. But uh, if we go back to the text and we go back to the Old Testament or the Dead Sea Scrolls and then, so we have a variety of evil things that can attack you.
2: Well, I think uh, the first part of your answer was a bit reassuring, you know, saying uh, demons not necessarily as bad as you might think, but then, then you added in the last part about there are all sorts of different evil beings that can attack you. That sounds a little bit frightening
3: keeps getting thrown around that that somehow demons are disembodied spirits of the Nephilim or disembodied spirits in general. You know, often, you know, in the New Testament, demons and unclean spirits are equated. But I want to, I want to hammer in on this disembodied term that keeps getting used. In, in biblical and Israelite thought and Jewish thought, spirits are not disembodied. I don't know where people are getting this, but I hear it all the time in comments, disembodied spirits. Um, Spirits have bodies, according to the biblical text. Let me give you one example. This is Job chapter 4, and it's Eliphaz talking to Job. And Eliphaz says, this is 4.13. Anyone who wants to look this up? Job 4.13 through 16, okay? Here's what it says. Amid thoughts from visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on humans, dread came upon me, says Eliphaz, and trembling, which made all my bones shake. A spirit glided past my face, a ruach, a spirit glided past my face. The hair of my flesh stood up. It, the spirit, stood still, but I could not discern its ma'are, I could not discern its appearance. A form, a temunah, was before my eyes. There was silence and then I heard a voice. So this is a physical entity with a body, a temunah, something that can be seen as a form but can't really made out well glides past Eliphaz, makes him physically react to it, and stands in space, Ahmad. You can't stand unless you're embodied. So the the idea that spirits are like some floaty, ethereal wisp or something, some disembodied entity, that's more of a Greek idea, in fact, a Neoplatonic idea, than it is an Israelite or Jewish idea. So I just want to really stress that and underscore that in the Jewish mindset, spirits have bodies. It's just that humans, like Eliphaz, can't quite see them, or indeed, they're invisible to humans. Even the Holy Spirit of God is embodied, okay? Hmm. So like in the baptismal stories, you know, when it says the Holy Spirit descended like a dove or as a dove, but in particularly in Luke, it says Soma, it says bodily, Uh, the the spirit descended bodily like a dove. Now, it doesn't mean thanks to uh, art, Renaissance art and things. We get an actual dove coming down. That's not what the Greek says. It doesn't say that the spirit came down as embodied as a dove. It said it comes down bodily like a dove would do, embodied. So that is, it's not like using a dove body or something. It's, it's telling you that the spirit of God that meets with Jesus at the baptism is embodied, soma. So again, this is the case throughout, over the course of the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, the Second Temple literature, the New Testament. Spirits have bodies. So the phrase disembodied spirit is a misnomer
0: You may be pleased to know that Dr. Shazer is developing a course on angels and demons in the Bible. I should also mention that in the magazine section of the website, Dr. Shazer has written quite a bit about Satan and demons. So if you want to explore more, there's a lot there to dig into. And then keep your eye open for the new course coming out on IsraelBibleCenter.com. So far, we've heard a couple things about demons and the fact that spirits are not disembodied. So now it's time to look at the specific texts in the Hebrew Bible where demons are specifically referenced.
3: This is one of those examples in the Bible that I was talking about where demons are uh, presented as gods uh, that are not—well, strange gods or foreign gods, gods who are not the God of Israel— and uh, this is Deuteronomy 32, this is the song of Moses, and it's a recollection of what the Israelites did in the wilderness in creating the golden calf. Well, Moses was up on Sinai and, uh, and worshiping that as their God. And in retrospect, um, Deuteronomy 32, Moses says that they made God, the Israelites made God jealous with strange gods, with abhorrent things they provoked him. And then it says, they sacrifice to Shadim, to demons. And then it says, Lo Eloha. Um, it could be translated, not gods, um, as the ESV translated. I'm, I'm inclined to translate Lo Eloha as not God, capital G. That is not the God of Israel, the singular God of Israel.
2: I'm um, actually not sure if ESV has not gods here or not, because this is partly modified. I might have done that, because some other translations, they may, they may do it. I don't remember. Yeah, I, I think Alter
3: does un-gods. The Jewish PSG. Publication Society has not gods. I think plural. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm not little, totally it's, it's sure tricky. about It's tricky. Yeah, Lo version. Eloha um, is a tricky phrase to translate, but I would want to do it as not God, capital G, just to um, to make the contrast between the God of Israel and these strange demons that that the Israelites are worshiping. In the wilderness. And so what we have here is uh, Deuteronomy 32 is a poem, and so it's made up of what's called Hebrew parallelism. So that is uh, a statement A is made, and then statement B is made in slightly different language. So here we have that they sacrificed to demons, shadim, that's statement A. And then statement B is to gods, Elohim, plural, that they had never known. So here we, we, the Hebrew parallelism here is linking demons, and so Shadim, demons, and then Elohim, gods. And so here in Deuteronomy 32, we've got an early instance of demons just being another name for foreign gods. And and I would just want to just add one quick clarifying thing, I, and I get this a lot from uh, from Bible studiers and Bible readers, and the, the question of, you know, what's, what's the relationship between um, other people's gods, so like the gods of the Egyptians or the Canaanites, for example, which is what we have here. What's the relation between the, the god, so-called, and the idol? And sometimes mm. people actually mix up the god and the idol as though other people's gods are just idols made of wood or stone or clay, um, that they don't right. really exist or anything like that. It's just that their, their gods are equated with the actual statues. Right. Um, but that's not quite right. You, you, the Israelites would have known, even though they like to poke fun at idol-making in general, They would have known that the god of these other people, so take the Egyptians, they would have believed then that the gods actually enter into the statue, which is the idol. And so here in Psalm 106, that's exactly what it's saying. So they sacrifice their sons and daughters to Shadim, to demons. That's other gods, particularly the gods of the Canaanites. And then it goes on to say the blood of their sons and daughters when they sacrifice to Canaan's idols. Well, they would have had to sacrifice before Canaan's idols because that's how Canaanites um, related to their gods. That is, the god would come down from the heavenly realm, populate the idol, and so there would be a face-to-face interaction between the Canaanite worshiper, the human, and the god who dwelled in in the idol. In fact, ancient Mesopotamia has what's called mouth opening rituals. We have these texts of an idol maker making an idol and then having a special ritual in which the mouth and the ears would be opened so that the God could hear inside the statue what the prayers of the, of the worshiper were. So this is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Psalms. And it's Psalm 95 in the Greek. It's Psalm 96 in the Hebrew. Unfortunately, the Hebrew and Greek have different notations of the Psalms and numerations. So if you wanted to look this up in the Septuagint proper, you'd go to Psalm 95. And um, the text says this. It says, the Lord, which in Greek is kurios, the Lord, that's the God of Israel. The Lord is great and greatly to be praised. God is to be revered above all gods. That is all other gods. So there's our most high stuff. The God of Israel is literally to be revered above all, other, all the other lesser gods. And the Greek word there is theus. So that is gods plural. And the text goes on. For all the gods, the theoi, of the nations, that's the ethne of, of the nations of non-Israel, so every other nation other than Israel, all of their gods are demons, daimonia, But the Lord, the God of Israel, made the heavens. So here we've got a very, very clear uh, summary of what I deemed henotheism. That is, other gods exist. There are all sorts of gods. All gods, it says. But all the other gods of the other nations that are not ours as Israelites, they're demons. So this goes back to what I was saying at the outset, that the word demon, and and Tupa um, alluded to this, Demons aren't necessarily this idea of like some evil force necessarily, like or a scary entity like you'd see in Halloween or something. Uh, rather, demon is is here and elsewhere, only the, uh, just a name, a description of other people's gods. So any god that is not the god of Israel from an Israelite perspective would be called a demon. And in fact, in Acts 17, if you remember when Paul is talking to Greek philosophers, they say that this guy seems to be talking about a demon that is other, an, another person's God. Well, here we go, Acts 17, 18. Mm-hmm. Um, th- they say that the, he seems to be the, pro- the proclaimer or, the, or talking about foreign demons. But really what they just mean is is gods. And in, indeed, Paul is talking, from their perspective, Paul is talking about a foreign god. That's a Jewish god, the god of Israel. So that's how the term demon would have been understood, particularly in the Septuagint and the other Greek uh, materials like the New Testament.
0: Now I want to go back to something that Tupa said in the beginning that originally demons were not necessarily thought of as evil but they are often associated with physical ailments. We see this in texts within the Gospels when there are people who present physical problems until Jesus casts demons out of the person and they're restored to their full expression of humanity. The practical question here is, what did ancient people think about medicine? I mean, they used it. We know they had records of balms and medicine plants that they used. So how did they hold medicine and the spiritual realm in tension? What we nowadays,
1: nowadays call the spiritual realm. So uh, diseases would have uh, demons or evil things that influence you and that's why you get uh, disease. But don't it's not to confuse that people would only pray necessarily. They would also use remedies and use other things. So those two things go together. They are not as separate as we often think today. And like in the Sea Scrolls, you see references to uh, probably, because as I said, fragmentary, but probably mal- malaria or uh, and also uh, this uh, childbirth. It's always a dangerous time, so we have plenty of texts, especially later, talking about how to take demons out of the place to protect the mother and the baby. So uh, those things were associated with demons, and they were they were the ones who bring uh, diseases. And this is also true with, with if we think about older like um, Assyrian traditions, where you also have this evil entities bring diseases and bring the evil things and sometimes i think it's maybe and that's only a thought that's maybe related to the unexplicable ways that diseases work sometimes and we're living through a pandemic we can say how very nice people die of diseases and even when they are very righteous and even when they follow the follow god's rule so sometimes we need other explanations for this
0: something that really strikes me about this conversation, as it did last week. is just that the ideas that Jews had about the supernatural realm changed. There was a growing complexity through time as people developed a different understanding about their relationship between the world and the supernatural one, or at least the invisible world.
1: And it's fascinating how you have this list of terrible things that can attack you so you have this spirit of the ravaging angels which don't properly know who they are There's some some of those references are unique to this text so it's not like we can compare to other texts to say what they actually mean by it uh the bastard spirits may be a reference to the giants not sure again uh demons and here it's particularly interesting because the 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 text is separate shed and i'm when you see in the scroll and some scholars think that's maybe to give more of sense of danger and threat and to make people more afraid of this thing then you have liliths and owls and something that's here is translated as jackals but it's Like this unruly animals that's again, again, we have no proper, like we, a lot of scholars have tried to see and know which animals are those. We are not sure about it, but it's usually animals that live in the wilderness are dangerous and they are evil. They are not necessarily the same as demons in the way we understand demons today, but they are a threat to people and you should try to be um you you should try to follow god and then you'll be protected and uh, and it's very interesting how also they are making a list of things and there's some st- studies that suggest that by listing them you gain some type of power over them or at least you organize their helm which helps to protect you so it's I think it's a terrific list. I really like it. And it it just shows you how many different types of evil things could attack you. Because if it was the same thing, they wouldn't bother to mention and give different names uh, to it.
2: Did you say you really like this list? (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) In a a scholarly perspective.
2: I I see. Yes. Not that you're (laughs) hoping that all of them come. No, no. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No,
1: I want them a bit far away. (laughs)
2: And and it's so interesting, too, that the passage goes on to talk in very similar language to what you might find in Paul's letters, for example, that this is the era of the rule of wickedness, and the sons of lights are humiliated um, for a time, not forever, but for a period of the humiliation of sin, and then rejoice righteous ones in the wonderful God. It's so interesting how they have a kind of somewhat common language um, that they're using yeah, here. And-
1: again it brings this idea that evil is allowed in the world for a certain time and just for a period and it will be away and if the the ones who are righteous the ones who follow the spirit of understanding they will they will live in this other place this other moment where there will be no evil around
3: you know uh, enlighten me on that uh, later on but in revelation 18 Babylon is a calc word. It's like a code name for Rome in Revelation. Uh, And in fact, if you go through it closely, you'll see that Babylon kind of embodies all of the nations that oppressed Israel throughout Israel's history, and the capstone of that in the first century when Revelation is written is Rome. So this is a, a look at Rome's ultimate fall, and it's become a dwelling place of demons. Well, of course the Roman Empire has become a dwelling place of demons, because demons are foreign gods. (laughs) So that is, that's exactly where every other god apart from the god of Israel dwells, because the Roman Empire spans the whole world. Mm. So it's definitely become a dwelling place of demons. And then just really quickly, um, that unclean spirit language, um, one of uh, our listeners asked the question, you know, are demons and unclean spirits the same thing? And here, This is another instance of that parallelism that I was talking about at the beginning of our discussion. It's not Hebrew this time, it's Greek. And the fun thing about the writer of Revelation, it's pretty clear that um, John or the writer of Revelation is thinking in Aramaic and writing in Greek. And so that you can see that Hebrew or Aramaic parallelism right here. So yes, th- th- this is a good summary of that demons are another name for unclean spirits. Statement A is a dwelling place of demons. Statement B is a prison of every unclean spirit. And we can see this in the Gospels too. Jesus says to the to the Gerizim demoniac in Mark chapter 5, get, get out of this person, you unclean spirit. And then Mark says that the p- man possessed with demons or literally in Greek, demonized had been, was now in his right mind. So demons and unclean spirits are equatable terms in in Jewish thought. We see this in Revelation.
1: And it's also interesting that it talks about being a place, the the, Dead Sea Scrollsman, about being a desolated place. So deserts and desolated places are usually places where evil dwells. So beware.
2: But also prophets go out to the wilderness, you know, they have this prophetic experience to go out and have a, well, a testing perhaps is is, related, you know, you go out to the dangerous place where the evil spirits are and um, have to endure that.
0: As I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, there are other roundtable talks you can listen to that will help you engage this subject on a deeper level, if you're curious. One is called Angels and Evil in Second Temple Judaism, and the other is Unseen Realms in the Bible. I will add links to these in the show notes of this episode. If you're looking for a place to explore new aspects of the Bible, join us here at IBC, where you have access to so many amazing roundtable talks with world renowned scholars and a whole host of amazing courses. Thanks to Jeremy McDonald from Mason Jar Music for doing such an amazing job editing, mixing, and adding in all the good music. And thank you for hanging out with me and being curious about all things Bible related.